all of the best marketing activities or successful teams I've been part of have been ones where everything is really collaborative all the way through. Any successful ABM campaign, it succeeds or dies on the, the quality of the content, the understanding of the customer, the relevance of the product marketing, and all of that needs to come together. B2B has the potential to be electrifying. But the industry is paralysed by a culture of conservatism. Scared stiff in a straitjacket of rational ideas. It's time for change. It's time to make B2B marketing visceral. Join us as we uncover and explore the truth with leading B2B marketers. This is B2B Marketing, the provocative truth. Hello and welcome to B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth. I'm Benedict and today I'm joined by Stuart Shingler, VP of Brand and Product Marketing at Tink. A very, very warm welcome to the podcast, Stuart. Thank you, Benedict. Thank you for inviting me. You are extremely welcome. Um, now, I've just given a very brief introduction to you, um, which I'm sure doesn't really suffice. Um, so just for the benefit of those people that are tuning in that aren't familiar with you, if you could just give us a little bit of background about who you are and also Tink as well. Sure. Uh, a lot of people maybe haven't heard of Tink. We are, I guess, uh, ruthlessly B2B. So we only have the people that we want to know about us, really know about us. Um, my accent doesn't give it away, but I, I live in Sweden and have done for 13 years. And there I found my niche in B2B marketing, specifically for fintech, specifically for payments. And that's what kind of uh, is my home now with Tink. We're an open banking platform uh, focusing on account-to-account -account payments uh, globally, now part of Visa, and working with some really exciting big customers, the likes of uh, Adyen, PayPal, Amex, that kind of company. So. Oh, fantastic. I didn't actually realize you were part of Visa either. So that is yeah. interesting in, in itself. Now, today, um, we're going to be talking around um, performance marketing, which is clearly it's a term we're all probably familiar with, uh, but we probably all have slightly different understandings of what it means, um, who needs to be involved in it, and what actually we should be measuring when it comes to performance marketing. So hopefully we're going to be able to clear some of that up with the, the conversation today. But to kick things off in terms of a, a con, the, the discussion, I want to sort of give you the sort of provocative truth that performance marketing is actually not really particularly well understood within the marketing community, despite it having been around for so long. And actually, it's just used interchangeably with digital marketing. Um, from your perspective, is that something you agree with? Uh, yes, I agree <laughs> with it. I think it's used interchangeably, and I think it's been... Um, I don't know. I had this moment a little while ago. I can't put my finger on when, maybe sort of 18 months, two, two years ago. We, you have that feeling like you wonder if you're the crazy one or everyone else is the crazy one. Because I all of a sudden realized I had a slightly different interpretation of what that mm -hmm. term meant. And it kind of like penny dropped and clicked into place a little bit where I'd maybe been a bit frustrated with other people's ideas of what performance marketing was uh, or demand generation or digital marketing. You know, the names get used very interchangeably. Uh, and that, that moment when I kind of thought, is everyone else thinking this means something different to me, was when I realized that I think it's the word performance that uh, I got, got hung up on. And I think there's two, two very different meanings for that. And the one which I realize now, I think most people use with performance marketing, was the concept of um, basically like sort of Formula One type performance, looking mm -hmm. at screens, marginal gains, optimizing, checking all the data points, analyzing, oh, is everything working as it should be? Could you improve this? And that lends itself very much to digital marketing. 
but maybe it's because I have a, a misspent youth I still cling on to uh, as a musician that I don't think that's what performance means. <laughs> I think performance more in the in the artistic sense. Uh, mm -hmm. And then for me, performance marketing meant something quite different. And it, it's actually really interesting that you, you, you brought that up because, I mean, historically, that almost intuitive understanding of performance and that fine-tuning element is the way that I've always um, sort of conceived of performance marketing. But even just before getting on this, this podcast, I did a little bit of Googling because I was aware of the different definitions and there are still myriad definitions. A lot yeah. of them very, very self-interested definitions by brands putting it out for their own sort of like purposes. Um, so, so from your perspective, the working definition that we should be working from as, as marketers is around just being really, really hot on understanding all of the different metrics which are component to the overall performance of marketing and making those micro adjustments constantly to get a better result. Is that kind of how you're looking at it? Uh, I mean, I think that if I can take a step back, if that's yeah. okay, I think that the quite often when we hit um, as, a, as, a, as a leader in a marketing team, trying to, to build a team or grow as a company and shape it, um, you, we brought, we've grown really quickly, I think. So we brought mm -hmm. in quite a lot of people and there always is that slight recalibration about, so what do you think your team is responsible for at the previous company? What did that do at this company? What are the expectations we should have on your role at your team? Mm -hmm. And we do get a little bit hung up on uh, the titles quite often. And that idea of looking for optimizing or being data-driven, uh, trying to make sure that you're kind of maximizing the output of any marketing activity, that's not something that should only be the focus of one given team mm. or one given role in the team. Like that's just good business sense. That's good business practice to try and make sure that you are focusing on output and optimizing things to be as effective as they can be. Similar to demand generation, if you call a team demand generation, uh, is kind of missing the point that, that frankly, that is what B2B marketing is. You're generating demand, right? What, what are we here for if it's not to mm. work together as an organization to create that market, to identify those prospects together with them, you know, communicate to them what problem you can solve and make them ultimately recognize that you as a business can add value to their business or, or solve a pain point that they have. Mm. Like everything we do should be about generating demand. Uh, and I think I've, I've had a conversation quite recently with somebody who, and they were from a creative agency who said that they quite often have when they meet clients this problem that if there is a team that's title is like a creative studio or something, very quickly everyone else assumes that that's where the creative people are and they kind of dissolve, like uh, divest responsibility for being creative mm. to that team over there because that's what they do. And all of the best marketing activities or successful teams I've been part of have been ones where everything is really collaborative all the way through any successful ABM campaign. Yeah, it might be that this kind of the key stakeholder driving it sits in demand generation, but it succeeds, it succeeds or dies on the, the quality of the content, the understanding of the customer, the relevance of the product marketing, and all of that needs to come together. So it's not demand gen's responsibility, nor is it only demand gen that should care about the, the performance, you know, in terms of analyzing that performance and how it's going. I mean, just listening to you there, in many respects, I mean, look, it should be helpful having a sort of term like performance marketing, but for the reasons you've just outlined, potentially it's unhelpful, but also fundamentally performance feels like it's superfluous. Mm. You know, marketing should be about good marketing. Good marketing is about generating demand in, in most instances. Yeah. And 
it's all about results. And that really is the fundamental, it's about sort of results-driven marketing. Now, results need to look different depending on the company that you are working for. And I think that's what you started to sort of talk about when you mentioned the recalibration that happens when you bring together a new team. So just to sort of, I suppose, help illustrate the best way that B2B marketers can go about becoming more performance-driven, more results-driven within um, their marketing efforts. When Tink were at that phase where you brought in people from different backgrounds, different sort of business cultures, you were at the beginning of that sort of high growth phase. How did you go about identifying, well, what are the specific results that we need to drive? And how can we um, institutionalize that thinking um, about driving towards the results? And what are those proxies that we need to be hitting in order to achieve that? Yeah, great question. I think when I joined Tink, for context, because as I, as I mentioned, a lot of people won't mm. even be aware of the company. Uh, Tink had a, like a seven-year B2C uh, history before becoming a B2B company. And open banking was a movement that was taking place in the financial services industry. And it, it, the, I was very attracted to joining because it was this perfect moment where there was a market. It just hadn't kind of realized it was a market yet. Um, Long story short, a, reg a combination of regulation and technical capabilities meant that you could connect to bank accounts and with the user's permission, either initiate a payment from their account mm -hmm. on their behalf, or you could access their data and then conduct kind of like income verification or give them a better understanding of their finances. And this is something where the regulation and the technology meant that the, us and a few other companies at the time saw this is going to be hugely beneficial to consumers, to banks, to lenders, to merchants alike. But there isn't a category for this yet. So the kind mm -hmm. of goal number one that we really needed to align everybody around was we need to get to a position. And I would when I say everybody, I'd include like our competitors at the time. Like we need to really establish that this is not a new buzzwords open ranking is not big data this is a really tangible opportunity and we need to kind of get mm. the right people to be asking the right questions that ultimately then as kind of stage two can lead to us defining what the proposition is and then sort of productifying what we could offer and yeah. then stage three was then saying okay now this is a proven product we have those reference customers We've identified the segments where we can win and, and now we're uh, going after different goals. So that went from a kind of a first phase of being very much about thought leadership where it was, I guess, it's really hard to get the metrics at that stage. Mm -hmm. It is a lot about um, ensuring that you are relevant in the right ways. So there we were going for, are we getting engagement from certain key senior stakeholders at certain types of business? So we know that we're kind of, they're asking these questions. And then the next stage around the productification, then it was focusing on uh, marketing together with commercial and with product, ensuring that we had a really good sense of when the product is successful and not just once it's being implemented, but when people are able to sort of test it. We focused quite a lot on is this user journey, buyer's journey, getting people to the stage where they're in a sandbox, they're testing a product, they're, get, they're getting like, you know, live volumes. Uh, and then this later stage is where we're now rallied much more around uh, a revenue goal. And marketing uh, is very much structured so that we share goals with sales, with strategy and with product. Uh, and they vary a little bit, I guess, depending on segment and how mature that is. But we don't we've never had a sort of a separate goal setting structure for our mm. marketing team compared to the sales team. It's it's kind of as one, which is 
easy to say, hard to, to do in practice, I guess, to get people to align on those. And if, if you have a big revenue goal or a big volume goal at the end of the year, that can be quite hard on a daily basis to really tie to everybody's individual work. But I guess that's, uh, that's how we have to try and approach it at least. And what I think was interesting listening to that specifically within the context of performance marketing is that there's an instinct when we talk about performance marketing that people think that it's mainly around that sort of activation piece. It's quite a sort of short term sort of activity. We need to see the metrics and the results. Yeah. We need to see the click through, whatever it might be. Whereas what you have described is more of a performance culture driven yeah. by very, very clear um, targets and achieving results which which get you there and so i think conceptually it's quite interesting as part of this conversation to expand you know this idea of performance marketing to actually include things like brand yeah. because what you described with category creation is initially it is very well actually it's almost bigger than brand but it is brand type activity you talked about the thought leadership aspect that's how that changing the minds at a sort of industry um, industry level and then growing the brand growing that permission for tink to operate within that space but still within that sort of performance framework so do you almost feel that you know within this sort of conversation that it, we should just be talking about almost performance culture rather than performance completely. marketing per se? And, yeah, completely. And I would separate that uh, in kind of two parts to you know how I'd respond. The, the first is I think if you focus too much on specific metrics at any given time, and mm. if you are creating those in isolation, setting your own goals, you can really quickly get trapped in a position where somebody starts thinking something is working because, yeah, you're getting loads of people clicking on that ad or you're finding that you've got a really high engagement rate on a given article. And ultimately, who cares mm -hmm. if the person reading that article doesn't actually change their sentiments towards the possibility of the proposition? You know, in, the, in the thought leadership stage, that's certainly true. Like, first of all, you're trying to just give people and it takes a bit of time creating a category. And we had really slow sales cycles selling. Initially, we were selling to banks, to hugely slow moving organizations. You're not going to get a short term gain from anything you do. You're trying to get first people to start having the right vocabulary, asking the right kind of questions. And if you start focusing on the short term metrics of are we uh, do we have more visitors to the to the website or to this landing page? It can look really good in isolation, but ultimately when you get to the end of the quarter to the year, you find that you're still no closer to signing that customer that you wanted to sign. So I think getting too focused on sort of granular operational mm -hmm. metrics in isolation can give you a false indication that, that you're, you're on the right path. Um, and then on the, the culture thing, completely agree. And I've, I've not really thought of it that like, like that before, but the performance culture, I guess, is what I was getting at earlier when I said, like, if you think of performance as having a, the alternative me meaning more related to the arts, what you want mm. to do, and this, this is, again, from personal experience, from a, a past life as a musician, like, before I was a, a B2B marketeer, I, I, was, uh, I, was a, I was a wedding singer. I was in a covers band. I had a great time. Oh, wow. Right? <laughs> we'll get you, you to do a rendition. <laughs> no, normally, like, well, that doesn't really help you much in fintech marketing. But yeah. the real takeaway for me was, uh, like, if you're playing, if you, well, like, in fact, to anybody who's ever been in an audience at a great gig that you're at, it's a two-way thing. Like a good band is is reading from an audience. A good stand-up comedian, a good like improv theater, mm. 
they're adapting what happens next based on the way an audience reacts. And they, they go into it with a, like if, in the sense of a song or a joke or the punchline, you've got a structure, you've got a skeleton, you know when you're going to try and like raise some sort of emotions and you know when you have to release it. So you, and you align like the, the drummer and the bass player or, or the, the set designer and the script writer, it has to be fully collaborative. Like all of those parts need to kind of know what emotion we're trying to make somebody feel, what my part in it is, but then be really keenly listening to the, to the audience and, and adapting. And if it succeeds, people come away from it going, they were a great band or that was a great show. And they tell their friends and their friends come the next night. And like, if you take that approach to marketing, you would go into an ABM campaign, as an example, uh, with a, a strong sense of, okay, this is the audience, we know that. We believe that this is their pain point. We believe that this is a messaging that's gonna resonate. What are you gonna do, creatives? I'm gonna come up you know, with the, the copy and the art and demand gen. They're gonna set the, the cadence of how many ads are gonna be served and in what flow and how we're gonna, in what context. And then you'd need to look at the numbers. So going back to that definition of performance to, as, a, as an input to give you an insight into how that audience is reacting. But the performance part for me is in how you react and how you kind of listen to the audience and go, yep, of all those people in that one to many campaign, these ones are the ones who liked, clicked, shared, read the article, whatever it might be as a call to action. What do they have in common? And what's the next best step for them? Like what song follows that song that's gonna kind of keep them dancing a little bit longer? Uh, and those who didn't, why not? Was that joke, did that joke not land? Was that not the kind of the right punchline for them and, and adapting again? And that's that truly collaborative thing that no one department could do on their own. It takes kind of sitting down as a cross-functional team and making sure that you're all performing in a way that leaves an audience like happy with uh, with, the sh with the show, I guess, to, to keep the analogy going. Yeah, no, I I, <laughs> I like I like that an analogy. I mean, in, in fact, actually where, my mind was, which is really very similar to what you, you were saying there in terms of, you know, a, a musician, a, a band or a stand-up comedian. But where I always feel that it's um, it's most conspicuous when there is a disconnect between a, yeah. a, an artist and the audience is a DJ in terms of song selection. Um, because I think with, with, with bands, you know, that they have a set and yeah. you know, they probably will, will, will work through that set and, you know, they pretty much understand it. But good DJs, and there's a difference between being a good DJ and a good producer, but good DJs have that sensitivity to where the audience are at that particular time, where the energy is, yeah. and selecting the songs accordingly. And that really are, is almost akin to what we talked about in terms of those micro adjustments that you need to make depending on what yeah. you're sort of reading from, um, from the audience. So I think it's a really, really good analogy, actually. Absolutely. Um, with... So with, with um, with you coming into Tink or, you know, maybe in previous places as well, how much of a, how much sort of cultural resistance have you found to taking that sort of approach where there does need to be that, that sensitivity, that ability to adapt, to, to fine tune, to make those sort of micro adjustments as we talked about? I don't think there is that much resistance. Mm. I mean, I might've been a bit fortunate and I guess it's the nature of, yeah, certainly with Tink and, and previously, you know, for, for context, I work at, worked at Klarna and in the early days there and there was, if you're in that kind of startup type environment, the company culture is built on 
the idea of you're trying something new, you're testing it and you don't get it right first time and you need to learn along the way and iterate. Like that's how the, the product teams succeed. Uh, and I think that if that is the company DNA, it's then easy for marketing and sales to also try and work, work in the same way. Mm -hmm. I also think there's, if you say to a, a team of marketers, uh, actually, do you know what? Let's let's ignore what you maybe expected you had to do and let's get the four or five people with different perspectives to come in and we'll make some time and we'll, we'll tackle this campaign this way. There is normally a sense of like, oh, this is great. This is actually how I wanted to do it before, but in my last company, we were quite siloed mm -hmm. and that was their domain and this is my domain. I've rarely found the individuals say, actually, I prefer it if we all just stuck in our own swim lane. I think yeah. <laughs> it might be that whoever needs you to fill in, it, get, it gets tricky for me sometimes when you get to the, the beginning and the end of a quarter or planning and, and you need to make all the goals fit onto three separate slides. And we have in our structure at the moment, we, we work with very much kind of like uh, deliverables and KPIs around awareness, acquisition and mm -hmm. adoption. And there's very, very little we do that we know won't have impact for all three. Like there's, there's a priority for it. If you're going to do a webinar on, you know, UX improvements that is aimed towards a product team, like that is very much about adoption. But if it's a really good webinar and it's something done together with a really great reference customer, it's also really valuable for awareness because you can get to put that out in, the, in LinkedIn or in channels and make other similar customers, potential customers be aware that you work with companies like them. So I think it gets quite tricky for maybe uh, kind of an organize for the organization to allow it mm -hmm. for, the, for the individuals i think there is very little resistance uh, and i think you can move quicker initially it might be a little bit slower sales might want you to just get that campaign live mm -hmm. today or follow up on those leads from that event we went to today and you might need to just say can we stop can i read the notes we'd like to understand more the conversations you've had with the prospects so far mm -hmm. and they might, they might be like oh, can you not just get it done yourself but the re results are normally so much better if you do collaborate and involve sales in the creative process of the messaging that you want to put in front of the next prospects to give them a nice healthy pipeline for the next conversations. Yeah. So I think uh, it's an easy sell actually. Yeah. It's just maybe a little bit, like I say, hard, hard to do the reporting. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course. And just, I mean, it's my penultimate question, but um, I think and maybe this brings us back to the analogy we, we, we were using um, there about being sort of ad adaptable. Where do you pick up the, the signals for how the brand is being perceived within the market or how a piece of content is being mm. perceived in the market or, or so on and so forth beyond the, the usual metrics that we would use within with marketing because i think that's what's always really interesting is what are those unorthodox ways that you are developing intelligence which allows you mm. to you know choose the next song correctly if we're going to sort of labor yeah, the, yeah. the dj analogy i think uh what we found and this might be just because of the nature of the the business at tank we're very much enterprise first as we as we were growing as a, mm -hmm. as a b2b organization and for us enterprise, as I mentioned before, in sort of three, four years ago, were very, very, very large banks. And you having a dialogue with them, with the individuals, and it becomes then quite anecdotal. And you get sort of feedback on how the brand's performing, where, for example, 
you recognize that there is n literally no content out there on a given topic that the open banking can help people with. So you write the content and yeah. uh, you put it out there and you don't actually know. I mean, we'd made printed reports. We handed them out at an industry events and, and we stuck them in the post to people. And that's, there's no immediate feedback. There's certainly no dashboard that can tell mm. you like what landed well and what didn't. But then you start to see patterns in the questions that are coming your way in RFPs. And you like, I recognize that that sentence like that has been lifted out of our own reports. So then you start to get a bit of a feedback loop on. So what content have we put out there that has shaped the thinking so that the right questions are coming our way? Mm -hmm. uh, you also found in the early days that initially you want to go and talk at a stage for a, an industry event where you pre you're an unknown brand and it's a topic that nobody had ever spoken about before you do have to buy your way in you're sponsoring those events and you and you're kind of the the and finally type uh, piece of content at the end of the yeah. day because you don't really, really know where to put you second time around you're not actually having to sponsor it you can just sort of pitch and be a speaker third time around, then you're getting invited to help shape the content beforehand because what we wanted to talk about and, and, the, and the kind of the credibility of our brand as the voice of that topic mm -hmm. had reached a point where you know, we were the thought leader. We're not just claiming mm -hmm. to be and wanting to be, but we were actually shaping the, uh, you know, the, the conversation in the industry. So it's very anecdotal. It's really hard to, like I say, there's no dashboard that can necessarily show you if you're on the right path or not. I think you can tell when you're on the wrong path. Uh, the tricky thing there is, I guess, if, you, if you're not quite sure or you're not sure how to course correct or where to double down your investments, then uh, it, it is a little bit more kind of on intuition mm -hmm. uh, than on metrics. But I guess stretching that analogy yeah. that's what makes a good dj as well right? they, <laughs> they just get a feel for yeah okay i'll play this other song now and i know yeah. how to then get from that into the one i always wanted to play anyway yeah. kind of thing yeah definitely and if we had more time we could start to talk about beat matching and what beat matching <laughs> would actually mean for um a marketer but potentially yeah. potentially too, too too much for for one podcast episode um but look, i actually um what what I think that marketers need to do more of is everyone struggles when it comes to, well, what am I going to measure? How do I put together a meaningful set of KPIs, measurement frameworks? And I think that we often just think about it in too linear a way. And actually approaching working out what to measure is can be a creative exercise. Yeah. As you said, what are those analogous sort of things that we can look at? How qualitatively can we look at this? What anecdotally could make sense? Yeah. But if you go through that sort of slightly lateral exploration, you will find things which are meaningful and you can gain intelligence from. Um, so that, yeah, I've enjoyed that. And maybe next time we'll talk about beat matching. Yeah. But before, just on that, sorry, sorry yeah. if I yeah. like on the, I think if you, you, it's a really easy trap to get into doing what you know you can measure. Mm. And I think you need to find ways to measure what you want to do. And sometimes yeah. it's not obvious and you do get creative on mm. how to measure it. But if you only did what you already know how to measure, that means you're doing something that other people have done before. And you're instantly boxing yourself in, in terms of, what you're aspiring to do. So sometimes you do have to work out how to measure as you go along. You know, it's the nature of things. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think the, the more that people can embrace the sort of the creative task of working out what would be a meaningful way of measuring, as you said, what you want yeah. to do. Um, yeah, I think all for the better. But before I let you leave, um, I have to ask you our house question. 
which is when was the last time that you saw marketing that could be a piece of advertising creative it could even be a bit of thought leadership that made you feel it in your guts moved you on a deep emotional level yeah i, I really like this question i did i gave it quite a bit of a uh, bit, of, bit of thought and it's a house question so i think <laughs> um I've got, the example i want to give i, I want to give because i thought it was so good I absolutely want to be inspired to do it, steal with pride from from another company. And if I say it now, then at least I'm giving them the credit and the props for it before I go to my team and say, we should totally do this. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you know the company and, and if you haven't had them as a guest, I, I would recommend it, but Plio, who do uh, uh, use corporate cards and I sort do of expense know management. I have a friend that uh, moved over and worked for them that used to be a colleague. I've not worked with them in a um, sort of as an agency, but yes, I am familiar with Plio. So they, uh, you know, fellow Nordic B2B sort of fintech adjacent mm. company. Uh, but what they did recently that I really, really liked was truly collaborative and really creative. They had a campaign that in of itself might not have been like the, it certainly wasn't expensive. It was called uh, the Summer Outbound Day. And I think what they did that was really smart with it was um, kind of why it touched me emotionally is mm. they, they, I think, if I'm speculating why they did it, get them on, ask them themselves. They, they had a, they've got a really good network. Right? They're like Tink, uh, they're definitely a company that's sort of second, third generation fintech. And it's mm -hmm. a pretty like hot industry here in the Nordics. There's a lot of companies where people had worked at Klarna or Zettel. And there's a lot of networks are now getting really, really well connected of people, whether they're in product or sales or marketing. And uh, they, I think they, tapped into that really well. And they had one day where everybody in the company went on LinkedIn and they said, it's summer outbound day. This is the day when we all reach out to our networks because we know that Plio can probably help them. And they had obviously some well-prepared pieces of content and nicely shot videos and things, but it all felt very natural. And every single person then posted something on LinkedIn and added the people in their network mm. that they thought it'd be relevant for. And LinkedIn loves it when employers share company content and adding people with a question where they're in your network, they're your former colleagues, so they're likely yeah. to engage with it. And the visibility just kind of went absolutely crazy over LinkedIn for a day with loads and loads and loads of engagement. Uh, did it result in as many demos as it, it appeared it might have done? Like, I don't know. But to get that kind of instant, uh, extremely high, extremely relevant reach, superb for employer branding as well. I looked at that and thought, like, that is such a smart idea. Like, mm. get everybody in your company to share positive messages about you, the, what, the problem that your product can solve for them on LinkedIn on the same day. And it was like, a, I don't know, it was like, what's it called on the... Um, I can't remember the word. The the um like when the crowd swarm like all of a sudden like in a town square and like it, it, it kind of gets a lot of attention. Yeah, uh, really effective, like super effective. Totally gonna steal it. I I did. Um, funnily enough, I I I saw it because of the the colleague that I used to work with yeah. that was now in player. I didn't unfortunately make her at list, uh, so she clearly <laughs> didn't think it was directly relevant for me. But I did see that sort of groundswell as it sort of um, came up there, and I think that player is also a very interesting brand for a B two B you know audience, which this podcast has. Because they've made such an effort with their marketing, not just through traditional B2B sort of channels, but yeah. here in the UK, um, yeah, the billboard last campaign year, they went year. massive out of home. Yeah. And they yeah. really, really went hard with their out of home, um, which I think shows a lot of bravery. Um, but I 
absolutely sure that it did translate to to results because there is just that brand awareness now yeah. with them as a b2b brand and it just wouldn't yeah. exist if they didn't do that so um i will also give props to to Leo on, on that front um well thank you so much for joining me on the podcast it's been it's been an absolute pleasure i think that clearly um i think on a conceptual level um what we talked about performance marketing actually being more actually just let's build a performance culture let's be really clear about what we're trying to achieve and let's use metrics let's use data to help yeah. move us along but i think it would be uh, remiss of me not to leave the sort of the final sort of like <laughs> mention to this importance of getting that greater sensitivity with the marketplace, being a little bit lateral, being a bit inventive about how you do sort of pick up those signals. Um, and yeah, absolutely, I'm going to be using your analogy of being an artist, being a musician uh, and understanding what your crowd want and responding accordingly. So yes, Stuart, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very, very much for joining me on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Really enjoyed it. And keep the analogy, use it. <laughs> B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth is brought to you by Allen Agency. To find out more, head to allen-agency.com. You can stream B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else great podcasts are found. And don't forget to click subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Allen, thanks for listening.